Well, welcome. We are glad you were here at the Orchard with us on Time Change Sunday. I was up late at a daddy-daughter dance, dancing for an hour and a half to the musical stylings of Moana, Frozen. Some of you were there as well, yeah? It's a late night, but here we are, new time change, exciting. I'm glad you guys are here with us today. If you are a guest of ours, you're going to find that we have been walking through the book of John for over a year, and you came on a good Sunday. See, last Sunday was the death of Jesus, and you know how that one goes, right? This Sunday is the resurrection, so you're here on the Good News Sunday, and, and wherever you are joining us, whether you are with us uh, in Vanuatu or in uh, Afghanistan, or for those of you around the nation joining us, we are so glad you're here in the building. We're glad you're here with us today, and my prayer is always this, is that you would leave this place different than when you come in, that God would speak to you. God would reveal something to you. And that's my prayer today. We're going to work on that. One thing we have coming up here that I am excited about, Mike and I have been working on this. It's March 24th. It's in your bulletin. It's called Encounter. It's a night. We're going to have some food out here. We're going to eat as a church at 530, then come in here at 630 and have some worship and word. And it's a night for us to go, to go deeper. It's a night for us. And we called it Encounter because our only hope is that we have an encounter with the Almighty God. Is there anything better than that? That's, what, that's, our, that's our hope and our prayer. So we're going to jump right into John. Here we are in John verses 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, that, uh, that's Sunday for them, it would be Monday for us, but for them it was Sunday. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. It's been three days since Jesus was crucified. You have to remember the Hebrews counted the days not by the sun rising, but by the sun setting. So Jesus was killed on Friday, and he was buried in the tomb all Saturday, and sunset on Saturday, Sunday began. And here we have Sunday morning of the third day, Mary arriving at the tomb. And had we not known this story, had we been reading this for the first time, we might think, oh, she's here on the third day, at dawn, right before dawn. She's here to see him resurrected. See, there's a faithful follower. There are disciples who are waiting for him to come back to life. Because, I mean, he said so much about these things. Sadly, Mary, we find, even though she was with Jesus during his ministry, she did not show up to see if Jesus was alive. And we know this because of what she brought with her. She brought burial spices. She brought spices so that she could cover the smell of a decomposing body for a burial ritual. She didn't show up to see Jesus rising. She showed up here for other reasons. She didn't bring fireworks with her. She didn't come to meet a risen Savior. I mean, she showed up for very practical, heartbreaking, grieving reasons. It's hard to have faith that Jesus is coming back or going to rise again when you show up with burial spices. It tells us a lot. And where are the disciples? I mean, you would think that they would be there. They've been with Jesus every day, walking around, hearing him talk about the death and the resurrection. For sure, they would be there at dawn. I mean, I could just see Peter and John. Peter's like, here it comes, any moment. Any moment. Get the fireworks ready. You got the trumpets ready. Any second, that tomb's going to, that stone's going to roll away and Jesus is going to come out. Where are they? It's only Mary showing up with potpourri and essential oils. Not one disciple there. And the reason we don't find disciples here at the tomb is because of what happened on the cross. You see, they, Jesus was their rabbi. They follow him as Talmudine, as disciples. They follow him daily. Everywhere he would go, they would follow him. And when their rabbi died, 
the movement died with him. There was nothing for these disciples to, to keep doing. They're not going to rehash old sermons of, of a dead Jesus. No more pointing to Jesus as the Son of God saying that, that he can overcome everything or anything because it's been proven in the last three days he can't. He died. They saw it. They knew it. It settled deeply within them after the shock of Friday. I believe Saturday, maybe Sunday, they stayed in bed. Surely Mary was up pre-dawn, but they, I bet they were still in bed, at least still back in their places. No reason to go to a tomb. Why would we go to the tomb? For the disciples, as I put myself in this context and was feeling, without knowing the end of the story, just putting myself in their places, these are, these are dark days. They have followed Jesus for three years. Think of the things that they have seen, the things that they have heard. I mean, they've seen Jesus have power over nature. They watched him walk on water. They watched Jesus speak to a storm, and it became still. They were there. They had the fish and loaves in their hands as they handed them out and kept handing them out to tens of thousands of people. They've seen him turn water into wine. They've seen Jesus heal people. They, they stood there slack-jawed, watching leprosy be cleansed, watching disabled walk, watching the para, paralyzed dance, watching the, the blind see and begin celebrating. They've seen these things. They were there. John himself, our author of the book, he got to stand on the summit of the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus reveal himself in his glory. Blindingly so. They saw it all. They saw it all. But the last thing they saw was Jesus on a cross. The last thing they saw was him bloody and beaten and naked and nailed and paled to a cross, held up for all to see, his suffering on display. Despite all they had seen him do, the last thing they saw him do, the final thing they saw him do was die. And that was not supposed to happen. That was not supposed to happen, they would say. The one you have so much faith in, the one that you thought was the Messiah that to, to, could lead you out of all your hardships. I mean, how did he lead himself out of his own hardships? The one who healed people couldn't even help himself. The one who calmed the storm couldn't quell Roman soldiers. The promises you've heard him make, all these claims and promises how in the world do they happen now with the promise keeper dead? If you were a follower of Jesus back then, you and I, we probably would have done what Peter and John and the others did. Hide in a house, wait for the crowds of Passover to, to, to go away before trying to go back to our old lives. We learned a few disciples this very day even. They start walking back home. Well, I guess that's over. We, now what do we do? Why? Because the term disciple, the term Talmudine in their culture, meant they had to have a rabbi. Followers had no one to follow. Because of what happened on the cross, the disciples were scattered. They were scared. Friday must have been shock and horror to see all that happened to Jesus. Saturday, just a day of bewilderment. You have to imagine these disciples and the confusion of all that happened. They spent the weekend just laying there going back over every single thing that he had said, everything he had done, lying in their bed, unable to sleep, just recounting it all. Where did I miss it? What did I, what did I miss? 
I was so sure. Again, we read the end of the story, but put yourself in their place. These would have been dark days for disciples. He didn't just have power over disease. They would remind themselves, we've, we've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. I mean, I was there when we were going through Nain, that small town, and he stopped a widow in a funeral procession. He stopped the whole parade. He said, stop, and he raised the, the boy back to life. I mean, I was there in the room when, he, when that girl had, was dead, and he walked in, that little girl, and he said, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. I mean, it wasn't even too long ago. It was just, just this past week. I mean, we were there, and, and Lazarus had died. He had been dead four days. There was already, I mean, there was rigor mortis. There was some smell. It was, he was dead, dead. And, and then I was there when Jesus got in front of that tomb and called his name. And he didn't come out all stiff. He came out, he came out alive. I was there. I saw Jesus have power over death. They remembered what they had seen and heard. They had seen Jesus speak life to death. Death had not defeated Jesus' words. When he told someone to rise, they did. But now, the one who had defeated death had died. On Saturday, Sunday was those are dark days, dark hours, sleepless nights, lots of questions, lots of confusion, lots of tears. Their hope, I believe their hope, was in that cold grave with the body. Their expectations, all they'd wanted, buried. You may have been through times like this, and, and I believe for a lot of us, maybe you're in times like this right now. Times where you had such hope for something, just to watch your hopes get crushed, to fall between your fingers, to fail again, I mean, you had so much hope in that relationship that it would survive. You maybe even said, said vows of promise, but, but you watched it die. You put your heart and your soul into your business. You work, you, you stressed, and it's gone. You had such hope that your child would make the right decision. You prayed, you, you, you pleaded, but your prodigal is even farther than they were. You had such hope that you could conceive and hold your baby. And you stayed optimistic. And you did all the right things. And once again, just to have your faith and hope slip through your fingers. Like we have all been confused in the aftermath of the death of a dream or a loved one. We've sat in shock at news that we've received. We've, we have shuddered at an unwanted diagnosis We've all had somewhere where our dreams have died, where our, our hopes have perished. Like his disciples there on that Saturday, with the confusion and the crushing disappointment. I've been there. I've lost it all. I've said, God, where are you? I, I have screamed at God, how could you let this happen? Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you help me? This was not supposed to happen. 
could be something that was happened to you. It could be something, that, a decision you made that caused it all. But our hope at different times, like the disciples, has been dead and buried in a tomb. And it's in that darkness. We have to remember that context, that darkness that we're reading this story. Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. That's all she sees. She doesn't go in. She doesn't look in. She just sees the stone moved. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. He's gone. He's been stolen. If, 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 but if you stop here and read, she doesn't say, hey, hey guys, he could have risen again though. Like, it could have been a resurrection. Just saying. She's going to throw it out there. No, no, no. The body was stolen. Somebody moved him. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, he puts himself in here, started for the tomb. Peter and John, want, 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 they want to see this. And I wonder what's on their minds. Uh, we know it wasn't the resurrection by clues we'll get later. But are there, is there any kind of hope bubbling up? Maybe something happened? Maybe God did something miraculous? Or is it just who took the body? stole it. What were they expecting? Verse 4, you got to see this. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's just so funny that John goes, you know, in a foot race, I could beat Peter. The Bible, the most read book in the history of the world, John has a faster 40 time than Peter. <clears throat> John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wanted us to know he beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> he gets there in verse 5. John gets there. He refers to himself. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Peter, second place, got there and came along behind him. And in typical Peter fashion goes, excuse me, and went straight into the tomb. Like, you might have got here first, but I'm Peter. I jump out of boats. I say things I shouldn't, and I'm going in that tomb. Now you have to stop and pause. Remember where we are. It's garden tomb. It's pre-dawn. It could have been some sunlight at this time as it peeks over. You know, Mary's already had to go back and, and get them, and now they're running. It's, it's chilly. Remember, Peter had to warm himself at the fire just nights earlier at the betrayal. It's chilly. <laughs> They're out of breath. You can see their breath. There's that silence in the graveyard, that stillness and the darkness of the pre-dawn, and Peter steps into an even darker and even colder tomb. It says Peter no also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. Peter notices them while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded and lying apart from the other wrappings. Some in here say that it was rolled up. Some leave it out altogether. But the, the truth is, we see that the wrappings that Jesus was, the head wrapping, it was folded up. These are the ones that would have been wrapped around a dead body with a separate one for the head. Somebody had taken time to, to carefully fold it, roll it, and put it, in, and, and place it purposefully. Now, according to one theologian, the folding up and placement of the linen cloth was similar to a Hebrew custom they had at the time. He said this, it related to a common practice used by servants 
and their masters. A servant would prepare a meal, prepare a place setting for the master, and when the master would come in and eat, the servant would stand off to the side, out of sight, and be attentive to the progression of the meal if the master needs something. But the servant would not return to the table unless summoned or until the master finished his meal. When the master was finished with his meal, he would rise, he would clean his fingers and his his mouth and his beard with his his linen, and he would crumple it up and leave it in a ball on the table. Now, you've done this. You've been in the restaurant, pushed yourself back, and thrown your napkin in your plate or just leave it back on the table. Uh, There it is. And and what this meant, the, the wrinkled, discarded napkin indicated to the servant, it is finished. We've, we've all been there. According to the tradition, though, for whatever, for whatever reason, if the master was not finished but had to get up and leave the table with an intention of returning, he, he wouldn't fold it up and throw it, leave it. He would crease the napkin and fold it neatly and put it back on the table. So while the crumpled linen would tell the servant it is finished, the folded and carefully placed linen would leave the message, I am returning. Now, do we know Jesus' intentions with the specific placement of the linen? No, we don't. But I, I, I always, you know, always know I like to hearken things of the Hebrew traditions we see here. And we know Jesus by his words and intentions for sure was, I am returning. Now, finding these linens as they were causes a curious reaction in the disciples. Like they showed up to see if there's going to be a, a, a crime scene. Someone had stolen him. But when they see things carefully placed, when they see the way things have gone, it invokes a different Emotion within them, which we see in the next verse. Verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, disciple John, who had reached the tomb first, remember John was first, just in case you were wondering, also went inside, and he saw, and he believed. John finally follows Peter into the tomb. When he sees the linens lying there in the manner they were, it dawns upon him that something else must have happened other than grave robbing. Okay? This isn't the scene of of a tomb where people have come and stolen the body. When you do that, you don't take off the linens and fold them up and leave them neatly and nicely and then let's take the body. Like, you take the body and run. Linens and all. Let's just go. Something else had happened here. So if Jesus' body wasn't stolen, something miraculous may have happened. Some sort of belief was beginning to percolate inside of John. It says he saw and believed. But believed what? Believed that Jesus had maybe been taken to heaven? Fulfilling the prophecy that the body wouldn't see, you know, decompose? Did God come and do something? We, we know in the next verse that John didn't fully grasp the reality. He says this, They did still not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So while there was some belief that God was doing something and growing there and percolating, they still did not understand that all the Old Testament points to Jesus and points to the Messiah of Jesus Christ that he has to die and resurrect. They didn't fully see this, and we're going to see in future weeks that they had even more doubts than we would know about. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. They show up there, they see this, they see it folded, they look around, there's no other clues, nobody else there. Let's, let's go back. Perplexed, hopeful maybe, maybe God did something, maybe God's doing something. 
And while they left, Mary, who had first shown up and delivered the news to them, she has returned, and she's outside. Verse 11, she lingers. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look inside the tomb herself. She wants to see inside. She looks in and sees a different scene altogether. She bent over and took a look in the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, now these angels weren't there minutes ago when Peter and John were there. I love that, actually. They appeared for Mary. These angels go as God directs them. They were absent or invisible when John and Peter were there. But when Mary looks inside, they're visible. They're directed by God to appear to her. And they ask her, woman, why are you crying? Like these angels know their commander and king is not dead. And she says this, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they have put him. Again, not looking for a miracle, not saying he might have been resurrected, but we don't know for sure. No, no, he's been taken. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Jesus either hid his identity from her, or in her shock and grief and in his glorified state, she did not recognize him. Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Husband, I just want to give you a tip. I just want to pause here. Husbands, just because Jesus says something doesn't mean you should. I have told my wife many a time, woman, why are you crying? And she gets mad at me. I say, oh, Jesus, Jesus said it. Woman, why are you crying? And who is it you're looking for? Now, Jesus knows why she's crying. He knows who she's looking for. The Bible tells us Jesus knows the hearts and minds of all people. He wants her to state her desire. He's leading her into a moment. Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll I'll go get him. Again, overwhelming grief. She just wants to do something practical and improbable. Gardener, if you know where he is, I will go carry him back and put him in the tomb. And this next moment is so beautiful. This next moment is one I wish I could have been there to see. If I put myself there, she's in the tomb, the Angels in front of her sitting where Jesus had been. It says that she had turned around and seen him. Mary has no clue it's Jesus. She's in the depths of her grief. And Jesus just says one word. And I can imagine the emotion, perhaps the smile. He said it in verse 16. Jesus said, Mary. Mary. Imagine being there. Imagine watching her face. She's been crying for days. It says she was just crying. And she turns and her mind begins to adjust to the reality of what she's seeing. And it begins to break over her face. And it says she turned to him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, the shock, the tears, the disbelief, the joy, her heart leaping. Oh, that moment would have been amazing. You know, I have to admit something to you. I'm going to be very honest, unguarded in this moment. Um, I was standing in my kitchen on my day off, scrolling through social media and waiting for my kids and wife to come home. And, and someone posted a video of a Marine who surprised his mother. He came home and surprised her after being gone for a year. 
And I'm just, I'm standing there and I'm watching it. And he, this Marine, I watch him. He always has the music too, which just, you know, ugh. This Marine walks in. He's in full uniform. His mother's back is toward him. He sneaks in. And, and like Jesus, he just said one simple word. He said, Mom. And his ear turned around. And just the shock, the disbelief, and the scream of joy, and the running to them. Oh, it just, it got me. I mean, I started going down a rabbit hole. I was like, uh, more. You know, I put my earbuds in. And I'm just, I'm watching every soldier surprise video I could find. Moms, dads, sisters, daughters, wives, husbands returning. I watch video after video. It was so moving. I was crying in my kitchen, standing there. I had not moved in over half an hour, just, just crying. It was so moving, I didn't hear the garage door open. I was so moved and caught up with my earbuds, and I'd, I'd, all I saw was the flash of my wife as she walked in, and I go, oh, hi. And she walks in to see her husband, standing awkwardly in the middle of the kitchen, crying over his phone. She's, she says, what are you, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> Just crying over TikTok. <laughs> it's not something you hear every day. I promise it's not something that happens every day. But there was something so pure, so touching, so moving, that when you see the response of a loved one, when their beloved appears unexpectedly before them, there's nothing like it. It's a little taste of what heaven's going to be. Every one of those videos I watch is a little taste of heaven when the music, and I believe there's going to be a soundtrack in heaven, you know, as we get closer. And then we see Jesus, and then we see our friends, that's gonna, and our family. But here's the deal. It, it just gets me that Mary was there broken. And he said, Mary. And she turned around in that moment. And Jesus, Jesus hadn't been just gone from home. He hadn't been overseas. She had seen him executed. She had seen his body crushed by Roman cruelty. She had likely heard him breathe and yell his last, it is finished. And she'd watch his body getting taken down. The rigor mortis step set in. She'd, she'd seen where they'd, they'd wrapped him and then they buried him. She knew the burial site. She cried herself to sleep. She'd woken up crying the next morning. She couldn't go back to sleep, so she did what she could. It was early, but I got my spices and, and I'm going to go to the tomb and, and I'm going to go put, put these spices on Jesus. It's the only thing I can do. And then he appears to her. Mary. And in her joy, she goes to hug him. And he says, Don't, do not hold me. Do not hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Instead, go to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now we're going to see her response in the coming weeks. We'll pick up there next week. But here we have an empty tomb. We have a resurrected Jesus. And while Christianity, we, we, we hold the cross so dear and sacred as a symbol of his sacrifice. And remember last week where God planted a tree where he had a covenant. It's not the cross that launched the Jesus movement. It's just not. We aren't gathered here today because Jesus died. We aren't gathered here today because Jesus was crucified even. Thousands of people shared in that experience with him. The Jesus movement launched and continued and furthered, and we're here today centered around something entirely different than that. It's the one thing that changed everything. The resurrection. 
completely changes the trajectory of Christianity because there were no Christians at the cross. They had scattered. They had left. It was done. The resurrection changed everything then, and it changes everything for us now. Jesus didn't just resurrect. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. He says this in John eleven twenty five: 25, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will live even when you die. I am the resurrection. The movement of Jesus is, is only powerful because Jesus is alive. If not for that fact, what are we even doing here? What are we doing? But Jesus, I am the resurrection, he said, rose from the dead and offers salvation to, those, to, those, to us, to you. He offers it to you today. He offers salvation. But there's something so great about Jesus. You see, in a lot of churches, or a lot of places, the, the greatest selling point is that someday you get heaven. But it's so much more than someday. It's that because of the resurrection of Jesus, the empty grave calls you to a new life today. It's good news that the grave is empty today for you. It's good news that the tomb is empty in you and your, your hardships and your dark seasons. And perhaps some of you are here today and you need resurrection power in your heart. You understand what the disciples and Mary were feeling in that dark Saturday. in the loss of hope. You may be right now in circumstances where your faith, it's gone, it's buried. I don't know where you are spiritually listening or hearing this, but you know. For those without hope today, listen, let me tell you this. God moved a stone and hope walked out of the tomb. If you're here today and you need hope, hope walked out of that tomb. Fresh hope that God is going to work in your life, not just someday, but today, to give you life and life to the full. For those dealing with sin, God moved the stone and grace walked out of that grave, and you can't outsin God's love and Jesus' sacrifice. And if you're in here today and your, your life is marked by shame of what you've done, what you're doing, or what's been done to you, the grave is empty and says you're not defined by your, your sin. You're not defined by what was done to you. You're defined by the work of Jesus Christ. Because grace walked out of a tomb. Joy walked out of that grave, declaring, and even in unhappiness and discontent, you can have a joy that is buoyant, that raises you above your circumstances at all times. Love walked out of that grave, declaring that God says you have immeasurable worth, and he loves you. Peace walked out of that grave, declaring that no matter what you go through, that Jesus went through the worst he could, overcame the cross and death, and that he would give you peace to walk through whatever you are. So much walked out of that grave that we need today. Listen, here's the bottom line. If I can drink without spilling on myself this time. Whatever it is you need today, the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected and walked out of that grave means that no loss, no divorce, no sin, no stigma, no pain, no disability, no illness, no diagnosis, no conflict, no sadness, no depression, no anxiety, no vice, no abuse, no a loss gets the final say in your life. 
Because the grave is empty. Jesus died for you. Jesus went and grabbed the keys of death and of hell, Hades, and rose again from the grave so that he can have the final say in your life. That not just someday, but today, your life can be reborn. Today, your character can be reestablished. Your freedom, it's been ransomed. Your sin, it's been pardoned. Your spirit, renewed. And Jesus is working and will continue to work in your life until your last breath. He's not done with you, and he's not just waiting for you to die to begin his work. He's working now. We have to have eyes to see Jesus, where are you in this? So where this morning do you need resurrection power? This is the question. Where do you need resurrection power? For some of you, it is salvation. You need Jesus as a savior to save your soul. For others of you, it's in your character. You need resurrection power in your character, in your sin issues, in your marriage, in your holiness, in your faith, in your business. Where do you need resurrection power this morning? I'm going to tell you this. Don't go. You have it. You have resurrection power. The Bible is clear. Jesus is in the resurrection business. Let me read this from Ephesians over you. It says this. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe. The incredible greatness of God's power for those of us who believe in him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and placed him in a place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is for you if you're a Jesus follower, if you're believing in him. Don't go to work without resurrection power. Don't have that conversation with that, that person without resurrection power. Don't you do your chores without that power. Jesus says this power is for you as you believe in Jesus. Where do you need it today? Where have you just been getting crushed and hopeless with shame, whatever it would be? Where do you need resurrection power this morning? That's the question. And like Mary, I believe Jesus is going to ask you some very obvious questions. He asked the blind man, what do you want? The blind man's like, I want to see. <laughs> but see, not every blind person wants to see. Not every spiritually blind person wants to see. Not everybody in sin wants to be set free. So Jesus, in this moment, as we go into communion, I want you to tell him what it is that you want. Where do you need resurrection power today? And as you take the elements of his sacrifice, ask his forgiveness for your sin and praise him for his sacrifice. And then we're gonna worship a God, a Savior who is risen. And that makes all the difference. It is time for some of us to see God's resurrection power in our life. Because it is Christ alone where we find those things. Let's take communion. If you're, in here, if you're in here today and you would like to pray to receive Jesus, I would love to talk to you. Um, you can email me if you're with us online. But if not, I'll be over here. I'd love to talk to you more about that.